Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. We are back after another unplanned break from polling and we're delighted to bring you up to date with all the latest happenings in the Copa Libertadores this year. Let's see how Simon and Austin are doing. Simon, I see you uh, cut adrift on a tropical island for a few days. So, what do you make of the news that Big Sam Allardyce is set to become the new Columbia manager? Oh man, don't 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 go there. I mean, it won't be much of a departure from the England setup. Um, no. But yeah, I'm here in Panama. I was hoping to catch a Panamanian league game, um, but it wasn't to be. But yeah, having fun down here. Bit of a spit of sunstroke, so I might talk a lot of nonsense today. But yeah, all good. Ready to recap some Copa Libertadores, albeit not a great week for Colombian sides, the side from Colombia, shall we say. And Austin, I imagine you're happy with Palmeiras, how they got on last week. But also I imagine that you're starting to get nervous that your dear old Stoke City might be finding it tougher than they fought in the championship this season. Look, man, my club being in the championship offers me a great experience because I am finding out that these clubs exist and are not fake. We we drew with something called Brentford last weekend, lost to Bielsa's Leeds United. It's okay. It's a long year. It's a long year, they tell me. So I'm still confident in the project. We're coming back up and Bullion's going to be a big reason why. You need to check out the hashtag teams like Brentford, I think. And uh, yeah. I, I don't think you'll be too popular. <laughs> Preston North End this week for the Potters. So, sure, that's a real thing, I guess. How disrespectful of you, Austin. I don't know any of these clubs. I've never heard of any of them. I've never followed a team in the championship. I know like three clubs in it. Norwich, Borough, Villa, Hull, Hull or Hull, yeah, Hull are still in it. Let's get back to the South American action. We're going to review seven first leg ties tonight. Um, one is missing and that's Santos versus Independiente. I was going to pose this as a quiz question, but Austin ruined it pre-pod. So um, Austin, tell the listeners why the game wasn't played last week. Independiente were winning the very prestigious Suruga Bank Championship, which is a match held yearly between the defending Copa Sulamericana champions and the J-League Cup champions. So a big 1-0 win for Independiente over Cerezo Osaka in front of 10,035 hearty fans in Osaka. It's a big win for Independiente. Yeah, as I was saying to you, Preetball, I once remember getting up ridiculously early in the morning to see Universidad de Chile lose on penalties, and it, it wasn't it wasn't a match which uh, lives particularly long in the memory, mind you. Yeah, that was the uh, Saruga Bank champion legends, Kashima Antlers, man. They know what they're doing in that competition. Two wins in a second place, so you don't just walk into the Saruga Bank championship and beat Kashima Antlers, as anyone can tell you. That's certainly how it looks. Anyway, um, let's get started reviewing the matches from last week. I would say that there wasn't a match which was like a massive standout, so I'm going to go in chronological order, like uh, like the old days on this pod, and, uh, and start with Estudiantes 2, Gremio 1. The holders looked in trouble approaching half-time in this one, but a Canaman goal right on the break seems to have given the Brazilians a decent shot at qualifying. Right, Austin? Yeah, I, as I was watching these Libertadores matches and thinking about the two-leg ties, I think the most enticing scoreline for a two-legged tie heading into the second leg is 2-1 to the host from the first leg. I think it leaves so much in question heading into that second leg. This tie really is up for grabs. 
that was a big goal from Walter Kahneman, as you said, right on the stroke of halftime for Gremio to get one back and put them in a position where a 1-0 win would send them through. I was really impressed with the Estudiantes in this match. Their intensity was really strong in that first half. I thought they pressed Gremio really well. I thought they took Gremio out of their comfort zone. Gremio liked to play out of the back, build through the midfield. And I thought Estudiantes made that really difficult for Gremio and forced those center backs, Jeromel and Kahneman, into some uh, unforced errors and into some errors that are outside of their character. So I, I thought that was really impressive from Estudiantes. They scored early. A great bit of skill from Apolausa on the first goal. I looked that one up online. Really impressive. And then the second one, which came with from an assist uh, by Zuki, the midfielder for Estudiantes, who, for my money, was one of the most impressive players on the night in this match. But then he found himself sent off after 77 minutes. It didn't have that big of an effect on this match. But I think Fernando Zuki will be a big loss for Estudiantes in the second leg. Uh, Gremio are still kind of working their way into this competition. They weren't tested in the group stage. Uh, but it's all hands on deck now. You know, they're starting to rest players in the league like they did last year. And I expect that they'll continue to do that. So all hands on deck in the Libertadores for them. Uh, and this is, is, is finally poised for that second leg. One player to watch out for for Gremio, one that I'll have my eye on, is Douglas, the midfielder who has spent the better part of the last two years injured, just finally getting back into the swing of playing football. Simon, you'll like him. He's a traditional number 10. And I think he's somebody that could play a big role in the second leg because you would expect the Estudiantes to probably sit back. They have the advantage. They'll try to hang on to that advantage, hit out on the counter. So a player like Douglas who can come in and break down those lines, which you would expect to be sitting deep, I think he's a big player for Gremio on the second leg, and he's somebody that, that I'll have starred on my team sheet when I watch that match. And, and Simon, you also caught some of this one. Uh, what did you make of it? Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting game. I think watching the game as it unfolded, you could really see that Gremio perhaps were the, the team with a little bit more quality, a little bit more computer, a bit more technical level in terms of you know a bit more swagger on the ball. You see that Estudiantes had set up very, very well and did everything with a lot of precision the way they played. Uh, when they received the ball, it wasn't, you know, it was very much get it, move it, get it, move it. And they had a clear plan and they really executed it very well. It was a very impressive performance. As the game opened up in the second half, you could see that Gremio still have the quality to make this a game. I think that, as you mentioned, that that goal just before halftime was really, really key. I think if Gremio had, had to chase the game, in the second half, I think Estudiantes were looking quite clinical um, with the way they were moving it and could have really uh, cut open Gremio on the counter. So I think that game, that goal really set the tone for the second half and has kept this tie wide, wide open. Uh, I think Estudiantes are going to have to be at their best. Um, but if they can play as well as they did this week, then I think they could still get something from Brazil by, by being clinical, by doing the things in the right way, sharp passes, good movement, responsible play. Uh, it was kind of a typical, you know, the stereotypical Argentine uh, efficiency against a bit of Brazilian swagger. Uh, if we go solely on stereotypes, not always reflective of what we see on the pitch, but that's kind of how the game unfolded for me. Lots of class from Gremio, but uh, Estudiantes look very, very good and very controlled in the way they manage the game. Simon, would, would you give Gremio the edge heading into that second leg? Do you think that they'll pull it out? I think I do. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. I think they have um, a lot of quality. You could just see the way that once they started getting on the ball in more dangerous areas, how well they moved it, how comfortable they were on the ball. Um, I think that the threat that they pose without the the home crowd, without the you know the enthusiasm that brings my push Estudiantes back. And I think Gremio then have the quality to play in front of them and, and slip a couple of passes around the side. And yeah, I do think they may find themselves being pushed further and further back. 
as the tie unfolds away there in Brazil. Yeah, that tie is certainly set up perfectly for the second leg. One tie which probably isn't set up perfectly for the second leg is uh, is Flamengo 0, Cruzeiro 2. Um, Cruzeiro here with two away goals. Um, fairly comfortable win. I, I didn't see this one, Austin, but when I saw the scoreline, my first thought, of course, was no Vinicius Junior, no party for the Rio club. But yeah, this is not just a great result for for the club from uh, Belo Horizonte, but also a great result for you, no, Austin, with this being the side that you tipped to win it. It is, yeah, yeah. I forgot that I picked Trezeiro to win the Libertadores. Yeah, man, I was right, maybe. Um... This was really clinical from Cruzeiro. I was really impressed with what they did. Um, I didn't think Flamengo were not great in this match, uh, but this match was really kind of set out in tone by an early goal. It looked like Cruzeiro was the side that was experienced in a Libertadores knockout tie, experienced in a big knockout tie. And Flamengo just looked that little bit tense at the start of this match. And that then kind of spilled over as they continued to play. And then it spilled over into the crowd. And there was just a lot of tense energy. And I think that affected Flamengo. A defensive mistake led to the first goal. Uh, An offside trap was played that was not played well and probably shouldn't have been played at all. One of my favorite players, Georgian Giajascaeta, the Uruguayan midfielder, pounced on a ball. He was one-on-one with Diego Alves, and he finished really easily. So that put Cruzeiro one goal up 10 minutes into this match. And from there, as long as Cruzeiro didn't ship three or four goals, they were probably heading back to Belo Horizonte with a positive result, regardless of what happened. Flamengo created some few chances. I thought Fabio played well in goal for Cruzeiro. Uh, but Flamengo just didn't have that oomph that they needed to finish off those chances, um, and it cost them. And then in the 78th minute, Cruzeiro got another one. They did enough on the counter that they posed a threat. Thiago Neves scored in the 78th minute, and then Cruzeiro had a couple of chances. Credit to Diego Alves in goal for Flamengo. Cruzeiro could have finished this tie off. They could have won 3 or 4-0, and that would have taken all question out of it. I think you obviously still favor them to go through, but Flamengo are in with a bit of a shout. Um, Cruzeiro looked really good though and I think this was an impressive performance for them and and I think they should feel very confident heading into that second leg this was in stark contrast to the last knockout tie that Flamengo played so they played their first leg in the Brazilian Cup a week before this match and they went on the road to face Grêmio in Porto Alegre Grêmio took a 1-0 lead in that match like Cruzeiro did here but then Flamengo just pinned Grêmio back and for the final 20 minutes it was one-way traffic and Grêmio weren't able to get out of their own half. Flamengo scored, and so that tie heads 1-1 to the second leg. But for Cruzeiro, they were able to do enough with the ball. Look, they didn't control the ball. They didn't have a ton of possession in this match. About 30 to 40% is all that they had. But they were clinical with it. They took their chances. And now with a two-goal lead, you certainly have to tip them. And the big question for Flamengo is they sit second in the league table right now. They are in a competitive tie in the quarterfinals of the Brazilian Cup. When you look at this scoreline, you kind of have to say to yourself, this might be over for Flamengo. Do they rest players in the Libertadores to focus on those other competitions? I don't think they will, and I don't think they should. But I think that's a question that's going to be on the mind of Mauricio Barbieri because there's just so many matches for Flamengo this month that they're going to have to try to juggle them somehow. Yeah, do you think the fact that they hadn't been resting players played a part in their defeat here then? I didn't think so. Um, Flamengo had, you know, their their mindset this month has been to try to play their first choice eleven as much as possible. They changed that a bit this past weekend when they were one 0 winners over Cruzeiro. 
Oddly enough, these two teams played again on Sunday in the Brasile down. Cruzeiro completely rotated their side, only left two or three starters. Flamengo probably left about five or six in the 11 and got a 1-0 win. I don't think it did, Flamengo didn't look tired. They looked tense more than anything. Um, they looked as though this, it's weird to say, but the stage almost looked a little too big for them. It's a weird thing to before. say. Yeah, but yeah, and that's a weird thing to say about a club that's so big and has so much history. But I think there's just so much pressure around them that it got to them a little bit. And now they're looking at shipping their chance in the Libertadores and having to focus on the two domestic championships that they are still very much in the running for. And how did our favorite Uruguayan get on for Cruzeiro? Because we saw in the World Cup that, you know, Arascaeta got pretty unfairly treated, in my opinion, by by his manager, Tavares, because, you know, he, he got his chance in that first game, but he got his chance in a position which just doesn't suit him. And uh, and then we didn't really see much of him thereafter. Um, how, how, did he, how did he play in this one? Yeah, so he had the first goal for Cruzeiro, which was huge, and then was instrumental in creating other chances. He was a very good. Uh, he showed why he's one of the most, the best-rated players in South America, I think, and why he's such a consistent performer from Cruzeiro. This was the Gia Hascaeta that, that we've come to know and appreciate. And if he keeps this level up, there's no reason why Cruzeiro can't win the Libertadores. Yeah, for me, with Gia Hascaeta, there was a, one moment that really stood out. Uh, it was actually when uh, Thiago Neves managed to hit the bar with a header inside the six-yard box with no goalkeeper in front of him. But before that, Arascaeta had like curled the through ball from the left-hand side. It looked like it was overhit, but the backspin was perfect. Just enough curling it to stand it up for Robinho, who lifted it over the goalkeeper. And then uh, Thiago Neves managed to hit the bar when it was easier to score. Um, but that, for me, was just a real indication of just the quality he has. Uh, you know, we know he's good in the ball. We know he can drive forward. But just that that pass, which just really sat up perfectly, you know, it couldn't have been better weighted, was just a real indication for me of his quality. So he was really impressive. And Diego as well. I like some of the things he was doing. Uh, he almost scored a corner uh, in the first half. Really good save from Fabio but curled it right into the near post and just punched wide uh, by the goalkeeper. But yeah, for me, those two stood out uh, in the game. But Erskayeta in particular, some really nice touches and nice passes. Simon, a lot of Colombian flavor in this Flamengo 11. They have three Colombians starting, Gustavo Cuellar in the midfield, who's been a really good performer for them this year. And then Marlos Moreno finally getting some game time now with the departure of Vinicius Jr., and then Uribe starting up top. He's the new addition for Flamengo. He's going to be the Paulo Guerrero replacement as he's off to Internacional on in the south of Brazil. What did you make of the, the three Colombians for Flamengo here? Yeah, I mean, Cuellar, we know what we get with Cuellar. He's you know, hardworking, plays it simple, does his job in the midfield, decent ball winner. Um, not a pop, top popular choice when he's chosen for Colombia, but definitely a good player in South American uh, level. Marlos Moreno, I think... <laughs> frustrating at times he definitely was a dangerous player he's been playing a bit more wide for Flamengo from what I've seen for Nacional he often came inside Flamengo he keeps his width to receive the ball and then looks to cut inside from that wider position to kind of stretch the game had some nice touches could have won a penalty I think there was a decent penalty shout in there um, but also miscontrolled a couple and they went off and kind of divided opinion and you can kind of feel that you can still see he doesn't feel quite comfortable in the side but obviously still a threat. With Oribe, again, been up and down. Had done very well in Mexico. When he was at Nacional in Colombia, which is when I saw him most, 
he was a bit disappointing. Often coming off the bench, they had a strong side. They preferred Duque over him at the time. But he was okay, and then he's done really well in Mexico. So I'm happy to see him doing, you know, going to a big club. I think if he gets on some form, he's going to score a lot of goals. He's just a proper penalty box uh, number nine, can one score with his head, can touch them in. Doesn't provide much else, but I think he'll do a good job for them if he can get a few goals on the board. Uh, and, you know, he's a proper proper striker, so always useful to have. Yeah, so, certainly from my perspective, yeah, that seemed a bit of a downgrade for, for me, Austin, though. The fact that Guillermo go to Internacional, who are a title rival as well, I believe, this year, and, and replacing him with Uribe. Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting. So Guerrero was out of contract with Flamengo, and that's why he left. His contract expired actually just a couple of days ago. And I think they just weren't particularly close in negotiating. You know, Flamengo weren't opposed to having him back, but they kind of read the writing on the wall and said, look, you're an older player whose who's production is going down. You have this suspension still hanging over your head. It feels like at some point... Paulo Guerrero is still going to have to serve the suspension. I don't know what's up with the case there. Uh, I actually kind of like this move for Flamengo. I think it was probably the right time to move on from Guerrero. And the move to Internacional is actually really interesting to me as well, just very quickly on that. Inter have a lot of attacking players and have a lot of players who can play as an out-and-out striker. They just brought in Jonathan Alves from Junior in Colombia, who we saw be so good for Barcelona last year. So I'm not quite sure how all of those pieces are going to fit together for them. I like this move for Flamengo. I think Uribe is a good player that represents a better value for what Flamengo are paying than compared to what they had with Guerrero. Well, I certainly hope that Jonathan Alves gets a, gets a lot more game time um, at International than he did at Junior, where he was criminally underused, especially in this competition. <laughs> If uh, if you recall back to the to the group stage, yeah, no, uh, no, Teo Gutierrez in front of him at Inter, so there, so there should be some more game time. Okay, Simon, I'm going to come back to you now and to talk a little bit about Boca Juniors two Libertad nil, fairly comfortable for the Argentines who you know with two first half goals managed to put this tie almost to bed really within 45 minutes. Um, I did read on Twitter whilst I was at the Colo Colo game that this was quite a physical affair, mind you. Uh, but it seems like the Paraguayans were outclassed in the end. Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, it was a it was a big atmosphere. Obviously, always is the case at La Bombonera, um, and Boca Juniors came out looking very strong, and it looked as though they might completely finish the tie in this first leg. A little bit less convincing in the second half, um, but uh, but a good uh, a good win for the for the home side. Um, they've still got a very strong side. You look at the the squad, you think with Pavon on one wing and Edwin Cardon on the other, Sarate in behind in the hole, um, Wilma Barrios still there in midfield. This definitely looks like a side that should be competing for the championship this year. And they did enough in this game. Um, started off very strongly. Uh, Sarate, uh, sorry, Avila uh, with the opening goal, Wanchope. Um, a free kick on the, on the right-hand side, whipped in, bounced around a little bit and it broke for Abila to smash it into the roof of the net. So perfect start with seven minutes gone. Um, in the first half, there was also a call that Pavon could maybe get sent off. Uh, Espinosa was kind of sitting on the ball and Pavon gave it a kick um, right up Espinosa's ass, to be honest. Um, there was a call for a red card, but in the end, uh, he kind of got away with that one. Kind of, it could have gone either way. He was trying to kick the ball away, but, you know, you kick someone on the floor... Could could be a, a tough call. Um, Sarati played really well. He scored uh, the second goal for Boca Juniors, cutting in from the right hand side. Came past the defender, slid it into the near post under the goalkeeper, like a really nice goal. 
And then it was 2-0 at half-time. It looked as though Boca Juniors, you know, things are going well. The crowd's behind you. Come out, get the third goal and probably seal things off. And they did lose a little bit of control of the game in the second half. It, it was physical, as you say. Um, you know, there's a bit of desperation from from the away side to kind of hang in there. Um, they were trying to to impose themselves, and they did they did that relatively well to get back into the game in the second half. Um, they did have a, the away side had a few chances late on. Wilson Lever had a really nice 30 yard powerful shot, which was just tipped onto the bar and that obviously would have changed the entire tie uh, had the, you know, the the visitors got that goal late on um fortunately for Boca that wasn't the case so it's a good 2-0 win at home they probably missed the chance to finish things off completely but uh, a really strong looking Boca side gets a, a good home win they'll probably finish the job you know if there's a, uh, an early goal in the second tie it would, would change things slightly but I think it's a good side, picking up a good win, and they've got a really strong squad. So looking forward to seeing more of Boca in the competition. Yes, I mean, I'm with you. I I thought that Boca were going to finish this off. It felt like they were going to finish this off, and they could have finished this off. But I don't think it's probably going to cost them that they didn't. It's kind of hard to see Libertad scoring multiple goals against Boca, especially with how dangerous Boca are on the counter. You know, the second that Libertad have to commit a lot of numbers forward, next thing you know, Zarate and Pavon are, are just cutting you up, coming the other way. So I think Boca are, are definitely heavily favored to finish this off. The late away goal could have made a difference and, you know, could have made that, that second leg a bit more interesting. But I think Boca are pretty much done and dusted in this, barring some unforeseen circumstances. And you, you mentioned how good this Boca side are. You just look at who they had on the bench in this match. You know, Naitan Nandez, Carlos Tevez, Bufarini, Villa, uh, Reynoso. So many good players, so many good options for Barros Galoto. That's a really good Boca side. Tevez can't even get a game because of how good the players in front of him are. Um, you're staring at a possibility of Boca Cruzeiro in the quarterfinals. That's the way that the bracket shakes out. I think that would be a very, very high-level tie and would certainly be a match that, that I would be looking forward to. That's where it's leaning now. Um, that would be one that you would not want to miss if it does come to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the quality Boca have going forward, a lot of good attacking midfield options, Diaz Guerrero on the other side. Yeah, should be a big one. Should be a good game. Yeah, hopefully that one does come to fruition. Boca Flamengo wouldn't be half bad either, mind you, with both of those atmospheres. And Adam, we'll come to you now. You were in Santiago for Colo Colo's 1-0 win over Brazilian Giants Corinthians, the last Chilean hope in the Libertadores. And Adam, they've given themselves a chance with this tie in this tie with a pretty good performance against the defending Brazilian champions. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really impressed with Colo Colo. It was uh, it was really night and day compared to their performance. I saw in the same stadium in their first match of this competition against Atletico Nacional. I think that was at the end of February, if my memory serves serves me correctly. And and in that one, yeah, they were very lackluster and ne- neither side impressed me that much that night. But Colo Colo were especially disappointing and and when after three games it looked like they were they were heading out, it was no surprise. In came Hector Tapia. I've, I've never been his biggest fan. I think it's fair to say when he was in charge of Colo Colo before, I always found his side pretty uninspiring, really, even though they, they did win the title one year. Uh, but to be fair to him, he really seems to have got these players motivated um, in, in this competition especially. And um, after an 11-year wait f- 
for Colo Colo fans to um, to see their side in the in the knockout stage of of the of the Libertadores. Um, they not only saw them, but they also saw them, you know, grab a goal and grab a a win, a one 0 win. And I think before the game, I think most Colo Colo fans probably would have taken that uh, a solid one 0 win, clean sheet, you know, something to defend when they go to Brazil in two weeks' time. But I, my feeling was in the stadium and also sort of seeing reaction um, on social media and also things that I heard coming out the ground was that most of their fans were actually a little disappointed that they didn't get that second goal. And, you know, from my perspective of covering Chilean sides as well, I, I was a little disappointed that they didn't get that second goal as well. Um, and I'm a little bit concerned it could come back to haunt them in this one. Um, but yeah, I think you know you've got to give credit to Colo Colo and how they approached this game tactically. They certainly won the battle. Um, you know their, their wing backs always seem to be in a lot of space um, all night. Corinthians never really dealt with that. I remember speaking to you on the night before the game, Austin, and you told me that you know Corinthians have been playing this sort of strikerless. 4-2-4 formation, and, and that's certainly how they set up in this one. And when you told me that, I wondered, oh, I wonder how that works, sort of with no focal point. And well, from what I saw on last Wednesday night, it didn't particularly work, as I didn't really seem to have anybody to sort of hold the ball up and and get up the pitch, which is really what we mostly see from teams in the Libertadores away from home in this competition. Um, so if, if they lack that kind of striker, it's always going to be a very long night for the away team. And and that's what it was. And, and I think I'd certainly be pleased that they that they've um, that they're only a goal goal behind as Colo Colo's back three was rarely tested. And their goalkeeper, Cassio, um, who you know we've praised a lot on this pod in the past for for his heroics in the goal, even though I don't think any of us are a fan of his uh of his time wasting, and uh, and I witnessed it firsthand last week as well, where he went down in the middle of the first half, which appeared what appeared to be cramp. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it actually was, but yeah, it, it was certainly entertaining. It um, wasn't. It wasn't. I'll just let you know. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't cramp, or he didn't well, try to fake I, that it was cramp. <laughs> oh no, he tried to fake that it was cramp, but I guarantee you it wasn't actually cramp. Okay. Uh, but uh, although he pulled off a couple of, yeah, well, I'd say world class saves, really, he also had a, a couple of very dodgy moments, including the goal. Um, like I say, Corinthians didn't really offer, offer much, and Colo Colo sort of grew more and more strong as the first went half went on and once the goal came it was no surprise and it started with some brilliant work by Valdivia um, in midfield and some good work from Barrios as well um, Valdivia played a pass for on, on the right side sorry to Apazo and he crossed it Barrios was there to to, to shoot at Casio and Casio there I the, the shot was hard, but you know Cassio did seem to calculate his angles wrong, no pun intended, and um, and palmed it sort of straight back out at 
um, Carlos Carmona, who was there to to strike home. And what was interesting about that was a few minutes before Carmona actually had a very similar chance, um, and 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 one which ended up sort of striking the arm of a Corinthians player. Um, but you know the Colombian referee, he he wasn't interested. So I think this was a this was a well deserved one 0 lead at half time for the Chileans. Um, you know they they were dominating the game, um, and then in the second half, Corinthians got a man sent off um, fairly early in it, and at that, at that point, you know you really felt that the Chileans could press home there their advantage but there there was a couple of things which happened then first I found the substitution to take off Opazo who set up the first goal really um, to to take him off and bring on the veteran uh, Gonzalo Fierro was very weird I I don't know why why he did it Um, I didn't think Colo Colo were quite as dynamic after that point um, but yeah, Jaime Valdez also came onto the field. Now he he that is more of a he came on for the goal scorer come on, and now that was a substitution which made sense because that's kind of a more creative player coming on for a more destru- destructive player. Um, but yeah, I think I think this was Tapia looking for a creative spark, but maybe that substitution came a little bit too late. Um, Valdez was also a little bit wild when he came on. He, he had a couple of wild efforts and his passing went astray a couple of times. But it wasn't really until the last couple of minutes where where Colo Colo really created something um, clear cut. And, uh, and the first one, Casio once again pushed the ball out right out to a Colo Colo player. This time it was uh, Perez, but Perez blasted it over the bar, which was, uh, well, yeah, the, the reaction in the stadium said everything. It was sort of a, a gasp of disappointment and disbelief that he had missed the target completely. Um, and then a minute later, Barrios has a chance from, what, inside the six-yard box, and, and Casio somehow manages to keep it out. Um so yeah, um, there was also a free kick opportunity that Bowser put over the bar as well, just in in injury time. But yeah, Colo Colo couldn't quite find that second goal, and yeah, but they, I still think they're fairly well placed to go through because if they do score one in Sao Paulo, then suddenly Corinthians need three to to make it through. So um, both teams were sort of clear to point out in the press conference after the match, you know, Valdivia was the Colo Colo representative and, and he was saying that you know he felt that Colo Colo's experience was uh, was a big factor in the in the win tonight and Romero the Corinthians uh, attacker also sort of uh, agreed with him on 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 that and sort of well there was two things with Romero first he said that the sending off of of Gabriel was an injustice which was ridiculous in my opinion it was the definite second yellow card um, for a, for a studs up challenge, and but he he also seemed to paint Corinthians much more of the underdogs than certainly what the press and his own team were doing before the game, um, where he really wanted to paint it as kind of youth against experience. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting how it plays out in in Sao Paulo in a couple of weeks. There's a, there's a few interesting storylines there as well. Um, 
with uh, with Jorge Valdivia obviously being an ex Palmeiras player, no Austin. So I, I suspect he could, he's uh, he's going to get a warm welcome there in the Corinthians arena. Yeah, they're they're not going to be too pleased to see him. But interestingly enough, there's a chance that Valdivia could actually face his former club in the quarterfinals if if Colo Colo go through, which I think would be quite interesting to see. A couple of points jumping off some things that you'd said there. Um, I felt like in this match, Adam, that Corinthians so often last year when they were successful in the Brasile down, it was because they were the agitators. You know, they were getting under the skin of their opponents and the antics. Corinthians are famous for them. Casio never takes a goal kick on time. Angel Romero just makes the most out of every contact, loves to see the opposition pick up yellow cards. It felt like in this match that Corinthians allowed Colo Colo to be the agitators, and Colo Colo was able to get under Corinthians' skin, and I think you see that in the comments that they made about the officiating, about Colo Colo being experienced. Corinthians will have to change that in the second leg because you know with an advantage to hold on to, Colo Colo will try to frustrate as much as they can at the Atlanta Corinthians. So that will be interesting to watch. And another thing that's interesting to watch, Corinthians haven't advanced past the round of 16 in the Libertadores since they won the competition in 2012. And both of their other round of 16 eliminations came at home in the second leg, one against Nacional of Uruguay and one against Guarani of Paraguay. So Corinthians are kind of working against a bit of recent history in coming back home and trying to close out a tie. I think this second leg will be very interesting. I don't think Colo Colo can afford to shut down completely and try to hold out for 90 minutes. But as you said, if they can find that goal, then all of a sudden, a Corinthian side that doesn't have an out-and-out goal scorer that they can count on to go and get the goals like Joe did last year has to score three. And I think that would be a, a, a hill too tall for them to climb. So if Colo Colo can score, I think they go through. If they don't score, then I think Corinthians will be the side that end up getting through out of this tie, if only just. It's a really interesting second leg. Yeah, and, and, and one more quick thing on this one. I have to say that the uh, the atmosphere for the game, and looking at Twitter as well, after the game it seemed like it came across well on there, but the atmosphere in the game really was magnificent um, in the El Monumento. And uh, and I and I think that played a part as well. It's a pretty intimidating atmosphere for the Brazilians to play in, and uh, and the roar on the goal was really something else. Um, yeah, very impressive. And got got my fingers crossed that uh, that the Chileans can can get to the quarter final and uh, and and repeat the formula against your 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 boys Palmeiras in the in the in the next round. We've got to get there first. We've got to get there first. Indeed, indeed. Plenty of surprises ahead in this Libertadores. I'm sure one surprise probably um, the next evening was Atletico Tucumán getting a fairly comfortable 2-0 victory over Atletico Nacional. Um, Simon, you know, I, I watched some of this one um, and I got the feeling that just the Argentines were a lot more up for this than, than the Colombians. Sometimes it's as simple as that. And you know, there was nowhere to hide for the Colombians in what is one of our favourite Libertadores atmospheres and grounds. Um, you, know, some, you know, something we've, we've banged on about on this pod before. Um, they're in Tucumán. And, yeah, I just got the feeling the Argentines sensed that the Colombians weren't perhaps as strong as their reputation suggests at the moment. And, and they really seized the moment to, 
to take to take the advantage in in this uh, in this first leg. Yeah, I mean, Nacional have had a long time we since the World Cup and all the break to prepare for this game. And it didn't look like they'd really given it much thought in terms of the setup, even down to the kits. You know, Tucumán are wearing white and light blue. So Nacional go for their changed off-white away shirt. <laughs> hideous shirt. Exactly Absolutely hideous shirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks like they've washed it with something dark. <laughs> um, well, I, I think I might have tweeted about that, actually, saying that the Colombians deserve to lose simply because of their, sh- their shirt choice. <laughs> So, yeah, everything was kind of off-colour from the shirts to the performance, really. You know, you looked at the squad before the tie and, you know, you were looking for it. Well, Boca Negra's been there and done that. Uh, Jason Candelo, you know, interesting winger. Omar Duarte's come in, had a good spell previously in Colombia. Alexis Henriquez is always a solid pair of hands, you know, big influence in defence. Hernandez is kind of tricky winger. That'll be quite good. Adam Moreno's a good goal scorer. And those were the players chosen to be on the substitute bench. Um, so instead, Nacional went for a team completely set up to counterattack. Um, but not many cool heads. Magnelli Torres has gone off to Deportivo Cali after a bit of a fallout. Uh, they had uh, Lenis and Lukami on the wings. Players who have great moments for about five minutes a game and they look world class. But you know, having those moments co- coincide with a coherent attack was, was very unlikely. Uh, Gustavo Torres as well up front hasn't really done it 22 years old, still fairly young but never been completely convincing Um, so very, very shaky from that and as you say, Tucumán just looked like they were up for it more Um, again, that is something that can be kind of overstated in the game but you know, it was evident from the beginning that they were just very much on top of their game and Nacional were very floaty at best Um, so the the first goal, again, <laughs> Monetti, Nacional trying to play the ball out of the back, but without the, the calming influence of Alexis Enriquez in there, they always looked vulnerable, and, and the ball was played back to Monetti. He tried, it, tried to play it across his box, and uh, Leandro Diaz jumped in it and, uh, and stroked into the goal. Nice finish, um, but really terrible start for Nacional. Um, really disappointing. And, you know, throughout the game, they never really looked like they were on top of it until they started making changes. And a lot of those more established names, the players who can put their foot on the ball, came on and put their foot on the ball uh, was really, really important. Um, Diaz had a second chance as well. Um, you know, again, it was saved by Monetti this time from close range. You know, a good save, closing the angle down, but looking very, very vulnerable. Um, every 50-50 was won by two men in the game. Um, and, you know... It was a it was a very much a deserved home win. As I say, Nacional came into it later on. Um, Acosta got the the second goal for Tucumán, but yeah, just overall, Nacional looking at, at nothing like what they were. The the approach they've taken is you know the Argentine manager, lots of Argentine players, but Azieri in defence always looks like he's going to get sent off, throwing himself into tackles. Uh, Castellani was a little better in midfield, but he's not quite Magnelli level for me. Monati in goal can make some great saves but also some silly silly touches lacking concentration at times Camposano was very good in the middle but uh, yeah just there was just nothing to this national side lots of pace on, the, on from the fullbacks and from the wings but if you can't control the ball for more than two or three minutes then you know, what does that what does that get you and in, and in this game, it got a deserved 2-0 defeat. So it will be interesting to see. It's going to be a huge night in Nacional, in Medellin. So I'm going to go to the stadium for that one and 
and maybe we'll see a, a reinvigorated national. But this was a, a soft, soft defeat and got what they deserve, really, the, the Colombians. Yeah, I'll just one, one more quick thing on, on, a, on national, actually. I saw that they drew 1-1 uh, yesterday in a, in a fairly big match there in, in, in Colombia against uh, Mille and Ariels. Um, and after the game, it, it seemed like there was, you know, the, the, the local punters were unhappy, so to speak. So, you know, how, how much longer do you think Almiron has that uh, Atletico Nacional? I, I assume he will probably get sacked if they don't turn this around. Yeah, potentially. I mean, things were going in the right direction all the way up until the Colombian League Championship final. Um, they had a really good home record. They they had won every game at home, I think, up until that point. And then they kind of collapsed completely against uh, Tolima. Lack of concentration, gave away the game, ended up losing on penalties. And since then, nothing's really kind of clicked. It looked as though they were kind of building something, you know, building a bit more stability and they'd been finally given the, the chairman had finally given them some money to spend all of that cashing in on that 2016 generation finally once they got Almoron in they gave him a bit of money to kind of build his own team and there's been some positives but there's also been a lot of kind of unconvincing negatives lots of Argentine influence and and some of the some of the fans are very disappointed to see the kind of tried and trusted Boca Negra not world-class but very consistent and very reliable and a very big fan favourite sitting on the bench, Alexis Enriquez, again, pretty slow, but again, sitting on the bench. Dado Moreno, at times unreliable, but always scores important goals on the bench. Vladimir Hernandez looking very good. So I think it's as if he wanted to get sacked, basically, with this game, because he's picked a lot of his new guys over the popular, established fan favourites, and then they've lost 2-0 and looked better as soon as they made changes. So I do see some of the positives he's brought to the side, but this was very, very disappointing. And they do kind of feel like they've lost a bit of that dominance and that that unstoppable force that they were a couple of years ago. They've kind of faded into drifting through games. And, and we'll see. I mean, it's going to be a chance at home to really make a, a name. They'll bring their ball players in. They'll look to dominate possession. If they can get an early goal, it could really change everything for for this side, and there is quality there, but for a team with quality, they look really, really poor this week. Okay, and let's move on now to Cerro Porteño 0, Palmeiras 2. Palmeiras are looking strong in this competition still, Austin. Um, a change of manager since the impressive group stage, but they still got the win away anyway, and it's probably to one of the most difficult you know, grounds you can go to in South America at the moment, given Cerro Porteño's record there since moving into that stadium. So this is this was a big moment in uh, in Palmeiras' season. Yeah, it was. As you mentioned, Jose Machado out at Palmeiras, and it's the club legend, Luis Felipe Scolari, Philly Pound, who's back in charge with their down. He, of course, was the manager when Palmeiras won the Libertadores, right near the turn of the century, and then was also the manager when Palmeiras were last relegated from the top division while also winning the Brazilian Cup. Uh, I think this move for Palmeiras was eerily similar to the move that Grêmio made when they fired Roger Machado to bring in uh, club legend Renato Gaúcho, kind of more of a motivator than a, than a tactician. You know, they believe that they have the talent here, so let's get somebody who can channel that talent into playing well you know it's not as important about the formation that we line up in but how well this manager can motivate these players 
And I think that's a lot of the, the motivation behind bringing Scolari in. So far, the results have been generally positive. A nil-nil draw away in the Brazilian Cup in his debut. Uh, and then this match for Palmeiras against Cerro Porteño. They were also fairly successful in the league. They won against Vasco da Gama 1-0 yesterday with a rotated 11. So, so far, so good for Felipe Pound. And this was a big result for Palmeiras because I think they learned lessons from last year's away leg in the round of 16, in which they went to Guayaquil and were defeated by Barcelona 1-0. Palmeiras played a defensive match here, but they went forward a little bit more than they did against Barcelona, and they were much more clinical. Uh, Miguel Borja, who I famously said needs five chances to score one goal, but is still my favorite striker in world football, didn't need five chances tonight. He got two chances on the evening and he buried both of them. And Borja looks so much more like the 2016 Atletico Nacional player than like the 2017 Palmeiras player. He struggled pretty much all year for Verdun last year. But returned from the injury that he suffered with Colombia at the World Cup. And has been in flying form for Palmeiras. They've not conceded now in a number of matches. I believe it's four. So things are trending upwards this year for Palmeiras. This was a really strong performance. Borja's two goals were big. I thought they were much more composed in defense than they were at points domestically this year. Antonio Carlos and Eduardo Senna were great in defense. They just didn't really concede that many chances to Cerro Porteño. And outside the last five or ten minutes, Cerro Porteño really wasn't able to put a lot of pressure on Palmeiras. Finally, there in those last ten minutes, they, had, they saw a lot of the ball and they were able to kind of trouble Palmeiras. But even then, didn't create any clear-cut chances Churin was, was the outlet for a lot of Cerro Porteño's attacks, but it was a lot of long balls lumped forward. You know, maybe Churin can bring this down and do something. There wasn't a lot of cohesion, and I thought Cerro Porteño were fairly poor on the night, and so this is a positive result for Palmeiras. You have to favor them to go through. They've got a two-goal advantage and are going home where they have been very good in the Libertadores. They've been very good on the road in the Libertadores this year. They've just been good in the Libertadores. Uh, I think you can... I don't want to say you can pencil Palmeiras into the quarterfinals, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. And it's really good to see Miguel Borja in form and playing well for Palmeiras. Gustavo Gomez, the Paraguayan center back who had a hard time getting games with Milan in Italy, has come in on loan for a year. He'll reinforce that defense. I think Palmeiras have made it clear that, that their name should be up in you know the category of Cruzeiro and of Boca Juniors uh, as the favorites for this Libertadores. They've continued to just play well, and they did that again in this leg. Simon, happy to see Boca at the double in this one? Yeah, I would have quite liked to have seen him at the World Cup a little bit more as well. I'm sure Austin can agree, but good to see him get in on the, on the score sheet. It's a nice movement for the second goal as well. Uh, he saw the option, the opportunity opening up and made a sharp little dash and a tidy little finish. So yeah, you know, yeah, great to see. I love, I love big, big Miguel, uh, and yeah, it would have been nice to have seen him maybe <laughs> get some minutes ahead of Falcao at the World Cup, even though that was never going to happen. Okay, and let's go to the last game uh, we've got to cover here, and that's Racing River, which finished in a pretty dull nil-nil draw. Really, I, I think the first half did have some interesting moments, but. I found the second half extremely dull, and I think I even nodded off at one point, I think. Um, but yeah, Racing must be disappointed, given it was 11 against 10. No, Austin? Yeah, this match had so much promise. And like you said, the first half was fairly entertaining. There were chances up and down. It was kind of surprising that nobody scored in that first half. But then the red card to Ponzio right on halftime. 
I think just kind of robbed this game of any potential excitement we could have gotten in the second half. River from that point seemed content to sit this back, get to the second leg in one piece, get to the second leg with a chance, worry about it then. And Rossing just didn't quite have enough firepower to break them down. I thought Rossing, as you said, they're going to be disappointed in this. They're going to be disappointed in the fact that they weren't able to get a goal and that now that, you know, they probably have to go and get something away from home against River Plate. Uh, so frustrating for them. We speculated at the end of the group stage, you know, the fact they were going to lose Laudoro Martinez um, to Inter. And it looks like, you know, he's going to, He's going to rip it up there in in Italy this season, and yeah, we speculated just how big of a miss he might be to this wrestling team. And on this evidence, it's going to be a real huge gap to fill, isn't it? Yeah, there just wasn't anybody to to be the outlet for those attacks going forward. Um, Bo and Lopez just aren't the players of the the quality that Lautaro Martinez was. And, and you know, credit River, they did a good job of kind of shutting this down. Juan Fernando Quintero got his typical 15 minutes off the bench for River. If you thought that maybe because he played well at the World Cup, he would actually play it. No, no, no. He's still going to get a half an hour for River. It's what they do. That's all he's ever going to get. I I was complaining about this on uh, Twitter, but Sam Kelly from the Hand of Pod, yeah, he informed me that apparently it was because the main reason this time was because, you know, he, he hadn't been in training much since, since the World Cup because he was given, he was given a break after that. So, yeah, there's uh, always going to be a reason. He's always going to play half an hour. It's just how it's going to be for River Plate and Juan Fernando Quintero. So so many times when you could just see them breaking and there was like three passes on and you're just like, just get the waiting right, get the timing yeah. right. And there's there's no one better in the world at doing that than Quintero. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a wasted chance. As I think Racing, again, even down to the last minute, they, they had possession in good areas, but they never really had, they never looked like they were going to open up River. River were very organised. Um, and obviously with the sending off, they closed off a little bit, but yeah, Racing were quite disappointing and Sintorion was, was substituted and, and threw his bottle on the ground and was not very happy and kind of rightfully so. I think he would need to make something happen. Um, Lissandro Lopez looked sharply dangerous. So yeah, on Racing really and a big opportunity. And I think River have the quality to step things up a little bit in the second leg with 11 players on the pitch. Yeah, and, and just one last quick point uh, from me on this. I was delighted to see that Racing's new goalkeeper, Gabriel Arias, um, who is a Chilean international now and uh, and potentially first choice with, with Bravo's fallout with the Chilean FA ongoing, you know, he had a really solid game in this one, which was, which was good to see. Yeah, Arias was probably a best keeper in the, in the first half of this year in Chile. And, uh, and yeah, earned him a international call up and uh, and also now you know a place in a you know Copa Libertadores size so yeah delighted to see how he got on okay guys well it's been a it's been a pleasure as ever to to go through these Libertadores matches with you um I think I'll just come back to you both just to see what you're up to at the moment um got your twitter twitter handles to plug etc so, Austin, I'll come to you first. Yeah, good to be back on a pod with you, Adam. We'll we'll get you back on the scouting spot. We'll get you on the scouting spotlight podcast here soon. I know that's in the works. We've got a couple of an interesting Chilean player and then an interesting player in Chile that we'll be breaking down shortly. I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James nine oh six. Follow me there for all the latest from Brazil. Tom and I 
recorded a Scouting Spotlight podcast one year on a couple of weeks ago. So that's out now, looking at some of the players we've profiled over the past year or 18 months and kind of checking in and seeing where they're at, you know, from the very successful to the not so successful. Uh, so I would encourage all our listeners to, to give that a listen. And there should be plenty of more Scouting Spotlights to come over the, the coming weeks and months. Yep, definitely check out the Scouting Spotlight pods there and especially the ones with, with me on them which should be out next week. And, uh, and, and, I, and as for myself, well, I, I, did a, I did a written review of the uh, Colo Colo Corinthians match that I went to last week, and, and that's on the website. So um, check that out if you, want, if you want more details on that match. So, uh, you can also find me at AdamBrandon84 on Twitter. Simon, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, uh, at Simon Edwards SAF on Twitter. Uh, on my way back to Columbia tomorrow, so there'll be some stuff. Uh, yeah, also recommend that Austin and uh, Tom recap. Very, very good. Lots of good predictions, lots of good talent identified, and also a player whose biggest claim to fame is he's lost 10 kilograms since the last pod. So not, all, not always on the mark with those ones, but most of them are very good, and it's a really fun pod. Okay. Um, yeah. So hopefully we're going to be a lot more regular than than we than we have been in getting these pods out over over the next uh, next couple of months. Especially with the Libertadores now back up and running, um, we should be in your in your ears at least every other week. Anyway, I think um, all what's left to say is another thank you to Simon Austin for joining me. A huge thanks to to you guys for listening in as well and choosing this podcast if you've liked it please rate and review us and it's goodbye